Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is September 12th, 2022. And what day is it? It's Monday. It's Holy Wasdy Day. First Monday night football game. What going on? So all your listeners out here, I'm paying attention to the Wazi that came out this morning. So we're going to give you a quick little recap. I'm joined by three guests. Vice President, Information, Sales, and Service, Nicole Thomas. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Michael. How are you? No, had better days. Today. Yeah, yeah. Should, we'll should talk I take about it, it down a lot? No, no. Okay. We'll talk about okay. it. Okay. Eric, Commodity Specialist for McKinney Flavel. Yes. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Excellent. Thanks. Uh, and finally... Yes, nice. Yes, Buffalo Bills. Yes, all the way. One and oh. They did well. One and oh. And finally, Kevin Combs, Vice President, McKinney Flavel. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Happy Monday to everyone out there. We're going to go ahead and give you a quick recap of the WASD report. And uh, yes, I think we're just going to go mm-hmm. right into it. What do you say, Nicole? Well, I guess. I, Are you okay? Are you okay today? You know what? It could be worse. I could be a Cowboys fan. Which is always <laughs> questionable, anyway. But you're not yeah. going to do like a Stephen A. Smith thing on, <laughs> on the podcast today. No, because this isn't video. And gloat or something. Only because it's not video. If it were video, oh, okay. then I, I got gotcha. you. Different. Steelers yes, won though. Uh, go Steelers. Um, go Steelers. And I don't think Giselle was happy with the win, even though Tom Brady won. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, maybe she was. I don't know. Maybe you never know. I'm not going to try. To I'm do that. Ju- I'm just reaching for good things because the okay. report did not yes. bring me happiness today, Mike. Why is that? <sighs> I'm tired. I'm tired, Michael. I'm tired of bad. I'm tired of tight balance sheets, Michael. It, yeah. We're like, what is this? Year three? Yes. We can't get a break. And um, yes. and I'm tired of Wazdy surprises. How about that? Even when you think you know what bad news is coming <laughs> yeah you can still manage to be surprised and yes. that's what the market got today so you didn't even have to look at the report if you wanted any idea of you know whether or not it was a bullish or bearish report one need only look at the futures market today yeah soybeans led the way but let me let me start with corn because we were we were all anticipating this reduction in yield, right? We saw the the crop tour, the pro farmer crop tour, a couple of weeks ago. They came out with pretty low numbers. We've had other forecasters saying pretty low numbers. Everybody's been pretty pretty set on the idea that we'd be in the in the low one seventies. Optimistically, before the report, I thought, okay, maybe maybe USDA will just you know gradually make that reduction. So <laughs> they didn't. They, they made a, a reduction to put us where we should be, all right? One, 172.5 bushels per acre. So When I saw that, I was like, that's not bad. This is okay. Exactly. And I skipped, I skipped the top of the table. Yeah. And then I went down the next line. I saw production, and I'm like, what? Yeah. That's same. a lot lower than I was thinking. Same here, Kevin. I, I, I didn't know what to. I'm like, wait, what a minute. What? Acreage? So David Copperfield magic trick, isn't it? 
It is disappearing acreage. <laughs> yeah, watch. Apparently, this. the the fields are magical because every year we seem to have some disappearing acreage. And this year, or this report, we lost another what 1.2 million, roughly, of acres. Even below, you know, last month's reduction, which, you know, everybody was anticipating, okay, August report, we're going to get the reduction in acres there. <laughs> There's a little more to come. So now here we stand with stocks uh, a little above 1.2 billion bushels for the U.S. balance sheet. I'll get to the global scenario in a second. But then I, I look deeper, you know, to Kevin's point at a glance, you know, uh, maybe not too bad. And then I started looking at demand and consumption. And some of the reductions made there to make it possible mm -hmm. to have 1.2 billion bushels of ending stocks. Mm -hmm. And a few things grabbed my attention. Well, all the categories grabbed my attention, to be honest. The one that was least surprising, I guess, was weaker ethanol consumption. Okay. okay. I can see that. Slight reduction there. You know, gas prices come down a little bit, a little less blending. We're going, you know, into the, the quiet season, so to speak, for ethanol demand anyway. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. Everybody calms down, you know, post-pandemic. Okay. Then I looked at the export number, and I thought, uh, maybe? You know, kind of getting, if you look at historically what we export out of the U.S., you know, 2, 2.1, 2.2 billion is pretty, pretty normal. Uh, so when you see something, you know, around 2.3 billion, you would think, oh, not too bad actually, you know, kind of strong. But then you start thinking about lower production in the EU, a smaller than normal Ukrainian crop, and some uncertainty of, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there right now about where the grain is going and is this right and blah, blah, blah. So you really don't know how things are going to pan out with the continuation of movement of grain, which has been slow. It's been moving, but it's been slow. And you know that crop's going to be at least 20, you know, maybe 25% below what it normally would be. So you got that going on. And you got another La Nina year to impact South American production, which is supposed to be very strong at 126 million tons. But what have we seen in past La Nina years? Nowhere near that uh, in the last two. So if we're going to get another one of those, it seems highly unlikely that they're going to make up for a lot of that. So then you start to think, okay, well, maybe that export category has got a few hundred million bushels that could play out there. You know, prices being high, sure, but prices are high everywhere. And then I looked at the fee category. And that one, that one was a little perplexing. Now, I get the idea of demand rationing based off of price. We're not really seeing that yet. You know, some of the numbers are actually going up again. You look at like the poultry numbers for broilers and uh, egg set for broilers, future demand there. They're actually up year over year, whereas of last week's report. And then I thought, wait a minute, when was the last time we had corn for feed yield this low? And 5.28 billion. And you got to go back to 2014, 15. <laughs> to get to get to a number that low. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we're coming out of time frame there of, you know, those $8 corn prices there as well. But, you know, arguably um, there was less feed consumption, you know, period globally at that point. So uh, getting, getting demand ration down to that level 
uh, seem plausible. So anyway, long story short, we're at 1.2 billion bushels now. There are folks out there that believe that number is going to be below 1 billion. And looking at the global scenario, even though, you know, stocks to use currently stands at about 22.3%, it is going to be a stocks declining year. And it does assume that we're going to see a 40 million ton drop in uh, consumption for 2223. That's already in the numbers. And it assumes that we're going to have a great production year in South America. So moral of the story is um, $8 a bushel corn. Here we come again at some point. Maybe not so distant future. Did you just say eight dollars? Uh, I know, I know, I know. You're, I know. Kevin, Eric, no, did you I hear her? Just ignored that. Yeah, what's that yeah. number? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Eight dollar a week, maybe. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, not hey. So much there either. <laughs> yeah, mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. So. It, <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Con- consumption has to take a big hit, a bigger hit. Let me put it that way. Consumption has to take a bigger hit to ensure that we don't end up near that again in the next six to nine months. Okay. And the way we've been moving of late, <laughs> who knows, maybe three weeks, maybe we get another YC report in October and we're there. So anyway, that's corn. Uh, then for the soy side of things, um, another shocker. So USDA lowered planted acreage for soybeans by a half a million acres and lowered yield, which arguably no one anticipated. The expectation was that yield would hang in there at worst, maybe even come up a bit because some of those, you know, we we saw some slight reduction in some regions from from uh, the crop tour. Um, but others, you know, kind of throw it, have, have been throwing out there that, you know, we should be able to do 51 easy and probably more 51 bushels per acre. Uh, but that was reduced to 50 and a half and that knocked out about 200 million bushels of production right there between the, the lower acreage and the lower yield. Um, we did see carry in for 22, 23 increase, uh, but it wasn't enough to stop the stocks from falling. Now we're sitting at 200 million bushels and based off of demand that puts us at stocks to use of four and a half percent from 22, 23. Now, uh, soybean stocks usually runs a little lower than that for corn, but four and a half is pretty bullish that I think there was one, um, you know, a kind of positive, uh, could have been worse scenario. I'm going I'm, on this one. I will pat ourselves on the back for this because we've been talking about this for for a while now. Um, that the biofuel number for 21-22 on soybean oil balance sheet was too high, and that the food use number was too low, and we finally got that resolved in this report. So, biofuel consumption taken down by 300 million pounds to 10.2 billion, which I think falls more in line with you know how we've been trending. But food usage was raised by 250 million pounds. So nearly wipe, wipe that out, you know, <laughs> effectively. And like I said, this is something we've been talking about in a, in a marketing year where we were short on canola oil. We had shortages of, of palm at times, issues, you know, kind of all over the place. How would we see that a drop in soybean oil consumption for food in this in, in 21, 22 versus the year prior? 
So we got that, we got that resolved and that carry in helped to keep us from seeing declining soybean oil stocks for 22, 23, but we're still below two, 2 billion pounds. So we're going to need, you know, something to kind of lighten the load there. If we, if we want to see prices get any form of pressure um, from the, on the future side of things. And as far as uh, the global picture is concerned, you know, world soybean oil stocks were up a bit, but again, that, that relies on good South American production and no issues with exports out of Argentina. The global vegetable oil stocks are, are projected higher, but again, that also includes any uh, expected production and, and ultimately uninhibited exports out of Russia to, you know, for their piece of that. So <laughs> the moral of the story there is when it comes to soy, uh, and I guess specifically soybean oil, um, it's going to be tough to, to get deep into the fifties a pound. We're in the high, well, I guess, I guess I call it mid, mid to high sixties, uh, a pound right now. I think the nearby may even be up at 70 after today. So, you know, you dip below 60s as a buyer, you got to you got to be taking coverage and not just near term. You know, I mean, looking out uh, and, and reaping the benefit of some of this inverse uh, that's that's still in the market there to uh, try to get ahead of it uh, as opposed to waiting to that to become the spot month. And, and you be, you know, what could be well into the 70s in a matter of months as well. So. This is why I sound so depressed today, Michael. Yeah, I know. I was, I was tired, little, man. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I, I hear you. But it's uh, it sounds like it's going to be uh, continued challenges. And, um, you know, you're just going to have to keep up to date on everything that's happening and have a good strategy and plan moving forward. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we got to do. All right. Well, let's shift over to uh, Wheat and Eric. The floor is yours. Yeah, well, definitely corn and soybeans stole the spotlight in today's report. And, you know, wheat was really expected to be on the sidelines, you know, waiting to see what those changes were going to come at uh, those two balance sheets. And we uh, were pretty much in line with expectations with little to no change. Uh, the U.S. balance sheet was left unchanged, still sitting here with a production figure of 1.78 billion bushels and ending stocks at 610 million bushels, uh, both, uh, well, at least the ending stocks figure, uh, the tightest we've seen since 1314. And, um, you know, again, not really expected to see a whole lot in the way of change for production for the current 22-23 balance sheet. Um, we're already pushing past the 80% mark for spring wheat harvest. And by all accounts, the yields there look much better, obviously, than a year ago, but pretty much in line with where the USDA has that crop pegged at 47.5 to 48.5 bushels per acre. So again, I don't really see any reason to change the national wheat yield, which currently sits at 47.5 bushels per acre. So not much to speak about there. And uh, globally, I'd say also changes made there were pretty much in line with what uh, I had expected. They We continue to see increases to Russia's wheat crop up 3 million metric tons, and they're now standing at a record 91 million metric tons. And I could argue that the USDA is still understated on that figure. And they, by uh, 
things I'm seeing for the Russian crop this year, it could be potential to reach the the mid 90s to even upper 90s. So still understated there. They did also increase Ukraine production by a million metric tons, which is a little suspect at this time to me. But um, all in all, with those increases and uh, nothing that was uh, decreasing, at least for this month, we see production increases to now a record 783.9 millimetric tons. And basically all of that was uh, nullified and eroded with increases to feed demand and, and domestic consumption as a whole. So not surprising when you consider the shrinking balance sheets for soybeans and corn, not only in the U.S., but globally. But um, we're seeing that there's some increases for wheat for feed. So ending stocks hardly move. Uh, only up a fraction of a metric ton now at 268.5 million metric tons. So not much in the way of changes. And really, you know, a lot of the focus is going to turn towards winter wheat plantings, which are taking place. You know, Nicole mentioned La Nina and potentially $8 corn. That is going to be very significant to wheat over these next few months as we enter the dormancy window in the fall and winter uh, after we start planting um, and seeing what acreage may look like. So the setup is looking a little concerning, I'll say, especially when you factor in seasonality when wheat usually starts to appreciate in price. So definitely a lot more bullish forces at play on wheat as I look out the next three to six months. And, um, you know, pricing seems poised to be breaking back up to the uh, upside here, especially if we're seeing $8 corn or those balance sheets get increasingly more tight. So like Nicole, I'm not um, very optimistic, but uh, the good thing is wheat did show some pretty good price uh, depreciation uh, the last two or three months. And I know, you know, users, if they haven't done so already, would encourage to get first half taken care of because we seem poised to break out higher on wheat prices. Excellent. Thank you, Eric. Uh, we're going to move over to Kevin on sugar. And Kevin, you know, I, re- I use this reference a lot, but looking at the what the USDA did today on sugar, it reminds me of Dennis Green and that famous <laughs> quote he did during the interview where he said, they are what we thought they were. You know, Is I think I got a better one, and, and it's a Bill Murray quote okay, okay. from uh, one of his famous movies. Oh my gosh, he's Nicole going Bill Murray. I, I go back to the 80s, so here I am. Okay. Uh, I, I wasn't going to say anything. But, you I know, left it alone. It, hey, I left it hey, alone. Hey, Nicole, have you, have you heard of, of Cream, uh, the band Cream? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Great new band Check out them out there. on YouTube. Great. <laughs> but no, I think it just doesn't matter. Yep. Are you going to let him off the hook? Uh, no, I'm not going to let him off the hook because that's the wrong movie, Mike. It, <laughs> oh, goodness. It just doesn't matter. You make all these changes. You do all this work. You try to come up with the numbers. And then, you know, September, it's one of those months where the USDA resets thing. And it's at 13.5%. So the fact that uh, imports are coming, not coming in this year, they're going to come in in 2023 instead. So the USDA shifts 118,000 118, tons of imports from one year to the next. It doesn't really make a difference because they just take it out of Mexico's hide and get us back to 13.5%. So uh, it, it all kind of just works itself out and you're still back to that same tight market. But 
there was a couple interesting things, you know, from a production standpoint, we lost a little bit of beat production in 21, 22 versus what we thought, uh, USDA blamed less, uh, desugarization of molasses for the industry and the, uh, little bit lower sugar content ending up or recovery ending up in a little less production. So down 53,000 tons for 2022 crop. Imports, again, they shifted. So we end up with supply off 125,000 tons, but a little bit of a surprise after all these months and months of increasing demand, it appears the USDA got ahead of the game. And so they backtracked 50,000 tons on deliveries. So I think that was, uh, I don't know if I want to say not a surprise or anything, but anyway, it was a good thing to see demand wasn't quite as crazy and they didn't raise it again or something like that because that would have tightened things up uh, considerably more. And then uh, ended up taking the stocks to use ratio for 2022 down from 14.3%, which, you know, well above that 13.5% after all the import increases, et cetera, which, you know, it's kind of like, hey, that's kind of nice. Doesn't reflect what the market's showing, but uh, anyway, we ended up off 75,000 tons in stocks and lowering the stocks to use ratio down to 13.8%. Looking at 2023, uh, USDA ended up with lower production, just barely, uh, 10,000 tons overall, 19,000 tons lower on beet, but up 8,000 on cane. So Louisiana is, uh, neck and neck with Florida for the leader in cane production at 1.95 million tons versus Florida at 1.968 after the 40,000 ton increase in Louisiana and a 32,000 ton decrease in Florida. So that's going to be interesting. Weather hasn't been really adverse or anything and still think there's, you know, a decent uh, potential for those cane crops to even even a little bit better. But, you know, we'll have to see. Nothing significant. Uh, imports, again, you know, we shifted 117,000 tons into the TRQ uh, from 2022. And then Mexico ended up 137,000 tons lower. What's interesting here is on the high tier imports, we're still only showing 50,000 tons, Mike. Whoa. Whoa. In 2022, after another 45,000 ton increase, we're at 370,000 tons. So just a little disparity there. And, you know, the two years prior, we were still hovering around 200,000 tons. So to only use 50,000 tons is hard to ascertain. But what we don't know is what the USDA is going to do with the refined portion of the TRQ yet. They have not announced that. And that should be, you know, somewhere around 175,000 tons. Maybe they're thinking about changing something. Maybe they're going to come up with a bigger quota. You know, most of that sugar is organic, comes out over the five tranches, et cetera. And when those are oversubscribed, companies need to get their organic sugar in. They pay tier two duties. Sometimes companies decide to bring in a bulk vessel and uh, bring in a lot of sugar that uh, is of organic nature maybe or not and ends up uh, counting against that quota and eating up portions so companies have to bring in even more sugar than what they intended etc this past year so a lot Oof. of games being played that just makes that hard to figure out but to say you're only going to have 50,000 tons in high tier after what we've seen in the past years just seems a little low so yeah 
that could mean, you know, Mexico's number is going to come down substantially, uh, another, you know, maybe even 300,000 tons. Not that it matters. Mexico's crop, you know, the USDA is at 6 million tons. It's probably going to be lower than that as there's some drought in the north portion of the state that's going to impact uh, a decent portion of the production there. Maybe it's in the 100, 150,000 tons lower than uh, USDA's current estimate. Nothing insane, but they got plenty of sugar uh, to meet our U.S. quota. So not worried about that in the slightest. So again, what they do and how they cover, it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple months. I'm sure this will be coming out anytime soon with the beginning of the fiscal year, just three weeks away. So uh, less than three weeks away. Yes, they certainly make it interesting. And I agree with you. It's going to be, I mean, 50,000. That That's not even close. So there must be some reason they're doing that. And uh, I guess we're going to find out pretty soon, aren't we? Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> be nice to have that information. But uh, yeah. again, just as the great Bill Murray was said, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kevin. That was a great recap. Uh, Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Eric. And I can't, I'm going to end it with this is that I can't think of a better time to have good commercial intelligence on what's happening in these markets and having a strategy and a good plan. And you should be talking to us if you aren't. You can check out our website at bikini-favel.com or you could simply call us, reach out to us. We'll help you. That's what we do, right, Nicole? That's exactly what we do. We're here to help. We're here to help. And be a shoulder to cry on. (laughs) Yes. And I'm just going to give a shout out to Russell Wilson. Good luck tonight. As everybody knows out there, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I wish him well. Absolutely. I hope he has a great game, even though he's playing the Hawks. Did the Raiders play? Uh, Kevin, is that? Um, Some of the players played and some didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's very well said. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, everybody, have a good rest of your week. It's just beginning. And uh, as I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute, moment with your friends and family. And until our next podcast, which will be Friday, take care, everybody. See ya. See ya. So long. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.